All right. Hey, welcome to Big Brother and the Hodling Company. I'm McKeegan Voice, and today I'm speaking with Alex Roth, who is a composer, guitarist, and producer. He's also the founder of Xyla, which is a multidisciplinary meta label uh, for experimental arts. And, you know, we can dive into more what that means. But yeah, it's great to have you here, Alex. Thanks for having me. Happy to have this conversation. I always like to start uh, from the beginning and just hear more about your story. If you could, you know, share a little bit about your background, where you grew up, where you are now, and, and how you got involved with music. Sure. I grew up in London, where I am now. Uh, although a few years ago I moved to Krakow in Poland, where I live currently. Um, I was born in Detroit, but moved. My, my family was was British, and they moved back to the UK when I was very small. So I don't have memories of the states from my childhood. But grew up in a very musical family. My mum's a music teacher. Um, both my brothers are musicians. And we just got into music before I really knew any other way. Um, just making music with the family was was the first thing. We used to I used to play for hours on end with my brothers. Uh, I play guitar, and my older brother plays saxophone. My younger brother plays drums. And before we even knew what we were mm -hmm. doing, really, we were just like jamming for hours on end in the front room where we had all the instruments. And um, yeah, that's a whole band. It's a whole band, <laughs> and it's it's actually a format like that trio with a reed instrument and guitar and drums. It's a format that I've had various uh, incarnations of throughout different bands that I've led or been in. This kind of bassless improvising trio. Um, I actually have a trio now that's a similar lineup with it's actually alto clarinet, guitar and drums. This is my Polish mm. trio, um, but I just feel very at home in that lineup and I'm sure it's to do with uh, growing up playing in that kind of trio and filling up some of the bass responsibilities on the guitar so tending to mm -hmm. get quite mm -hmm. low down or uh, more recently incorporating pedals that can enable me to fill up that space in the in the frequency spectrum um, but yeah even before we knew what improvising was we were just kind of doing it um, the three of us at home and uh, my mum as well as teaching music in schools, has been running a community big band for I think now like 42 years. So when we were growing up, wow. we would be going to rehearsals. They meet every Tuesday evening still in the local church. Um, but we would go along and hear rehearsals and we'd just hear this like amazing repertoire of Duke Ellington and Count Basie and Glenn Miller and uh, Neil Hefty arrangements, all this stuff. And you know, even apart from just hearing the sound of these um, of these arrangements and these charts, like just seeing all these really shiny instruments <laughs> at that young age was was I'm sure a part of it as well. <laughs> so I was always drawn to um, music that incorporated improvisation, and uh, I'm sure that's a big part of it as well. These like jazz charts, um, and I was studying classical guitar initially. Um, but like I said, always interested in kind of improvising. Later on, that developed into like, okay, what if I sort of like remembered these improvisations that I was doing on my own, and that turned into an interesting composition. Um, then this like interest in jazz sort of really flourished in my teenage years, and got really obsessed with different mm. forms of improvising, but particularly around um, around jazz. Um, 
studied composition for my undergrad degree down in Dartington College of Arts in the southwest of England. Very experimental place, beautiful estate where we were very much encouraged to do our own thing and explore what our own practice was. Um, my focus at that time was composing using improvisation as a tool in various forms. So that was either writing for improvisers or using improvisation in the compositional process, various ways of looking at that dynamic. Mm. And then I came back to London and basically started playing in bands and did, decided to do a, a master's degree in jazz. I wanted to really focus on that language and vocabulary and also just hook up with other musicians that were kind of uh, interested in that space too. So I did a master's at the Royal Academy of Music here in London. And um, that was two amazing years of really intensive study on my instrument and composing and arranging. And I was kind of sneaking off into the classical department as well so that I could study 20th century composition at the same time. Hmm. So I have a real interest in composers like Olivier Messiaen, Georges Ligeti. Um, and uh, so I was able to like really go in depth on some of that music as well. And hmm. since I left, which was 10 years ago now, I've basically been playing in bands, composing for various contexts, uh, including interdisciplinary contexts, which is where Xyla comes in, and I'm sure we'll, we'll come onto that in a bit. Um, recording, releasing, touring, um, and then in the last couple of years, seeing how my practice can intersect with the emerging tools that I'm really interested in to come under this Web3 umbrella. Cool, awesome, thank you for, for that. Um, I have two, two small questions before moving into more of the Web3 realm, but I'm curious, um, uh, is your mom still doing that big band program that she's been doing here, and is that based in London? Every Tuesday evening. It's, they, they meet in Every Rickmansworth Tuesday. Baptist Church. It's northwest, it's sort of just outside London, but it's on the Metropolitan Line, so it's kind of, uh, Greater London, I suppose you'd say. And they meet every Tuesday evening to rehearse and every now and again, they'll have a gig in the community. Um, and it's just, it's a bunch of people that um, just like getting together every week, playing through these charts. There's no pressure. It's just like, it's a very hmm. community oriented thing. And over the years, you know, generations of local musicians, whether amateur or semi-professional or even professional, have kind of come through the ranks myself included and my brothers too. Sometimes we even go back if we're if I happen to be in town and they have a gig, we'll we'll go and play with them and it's uh it's a beautiful thing. And so rare that music making can sustain over such a long time with a group of people and have that generational aspect totally. to it. It's a beautiful thing. Cool. Yeah, if you could if you could send me a link or whatever information you have on that, I'd love to check out the next time there is a gig or a performance sure. of any kind. And then in terms of, uh, you, you know, how your own style has been cultivated and has been influenced, uh, you know, from everything from jazz to, you know, 20th century classical composers, I'm curious if, if you can still trace any of those threads to your music today, you know, you know any in particular. And then um, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about your, your compositional process in terms of how you know how you balance in, in, you know improvisation how you balance 
uh, you know, kind of the more architectural approach of composition versus creating space for improvisation, you know, on the performer side. Um, just, you know, curious to hear a little bit more about those two things. That's really one of my favorite subjects in music to talk about this, um, <laughs> this process of music making that's not so delineated in terms of roles. Um, <clears throat> and I've always been yeah, attracted to the kinds of music making where it's kind of difficult to pinpoint, for example, whether something is composed or improvised, or if it's composed, what role does the performer have in bringing the music to life? Um, if it's improvised, how much of a compositional aesthetic does the player bring to that improvisation? Um, and there are really as many ways of going about this as there are people doing it. So it's a very personal thing, and that's, that's kind of what what draws me to it, I think. In terms of tracing lines through those influences into what I'm doing now, I think it really depends on the project. I, I think it's easier in some projects to, for example, see how that interest in composition and improvisation and the intersection of them comes into play. Um, in other projects, uh, it's more about the compositional focus rather than the improvisational. Um, and I think different ones come to the fore depending on the context. So if I'm working in, for example, a dance score context, which is um, something I've been doing quite a bit over the last few years, one of the things I really like to do is get into the studio with the musicians and the dancers and allow the the dance process and the choreographic process to feed into the music making process and vice versa. And hmm. sometimes if I'm in if I'm there in a composer role, I kind of like to think of myself more as like a choreographer as sound sometimes. So it's not so much that I'm notating hmm. music and giving it to the performer and they're just playing it. It's more like we're working with gestures, sonic gestures in the same way that the dancers are working with movement gestures. And I might give cues to the musician that are more similar to what the choreographer might give to their um, performers than, for example, what a composer would normally say to a musician. So it could be more like, um, let's make this gesture more soft, not dynamically, but let's just soften the, the outer skirts of this gesture, or you use colors to describe things, things that are a little bit more interpretive. Um, I love working in dance for that mm -hmm. reason because dancers are just so attuned to somatic practices, the experience of the senses in the body and how to uh, not only feel them more intensely but communicate them. So I try and work that into the process in that context. Uh, and I've found over time that that's, that's a specific area where those interests of mine in blurring that line between who the composer is, who the performer is, who the, if there's improvisation, they can really, there's an interesting space there. So I really like that. And then uh, if I'm doing my solo electronic music as Super Sigil, um, there's no other performers. So it's, it's more about how to internalize that process within myself and find the space um, personally to explore those things without the sort of uh, bouncing of ideas off of other 
creative people. So it really mm -hmm. depends on the context. In, mm -hmm. in my Polish trio, uh, which is this clarinet, guitar, drums trio, I, I can see more of the improv strand that's kind of carried right through from my childhood experiences playing with my brothers. Um, I really see that thread running through that. Um, but it, it, yeah, really, my, my practice is quite diverse, so it, it really depends on the day of the week even sometimes, or, or the, the particular project that I'm focusing on. Hmm. Do you think that, um, you know, your penchant for, for blurring the line between, uh, you know, different contributors to whatever the musical output is, do you think that is one of the things that attracted you to Web3 and seeing this space open up to kind of retake, you know, some sense of ownership um, in different ways and reestablish agency and more, um, more of a collaborative ethos in some ways in some areas of Web3. I'm curious if that, if that was one of the things that resonated when you first had whatever your, your aha moment was. I think my aha moment was quite drawn out, so it's hard to pinpoint exactly when or, or what it was but I think it's there's two sides to this because on the one hand all of these tools that are available to us under this umbrella term of web3 do empower artists to explore quite innovative approaches to collaboration but on the other hand there's so few people doing it at the moment that it's kind of hard to find people that are interested in the same kind of collaboration or process of collaboration as I am. So on some level, it's opened me up to making new connections with other artists that I wouldn't have come across otherwise. Uh, and on the other hand, it can be a little bit isolating, to be honest, because finding people within a, a relatively small scene who have enough interests and sort of um, aspects of their creative practice that overlap with mine um, can be difficult. There's maybe, you know, a few thousand people around the world who are doing these kinds of things in, in Web3 um, compared to however many millions are doing experimental music. I don't know if it's millions, but uh, <laughs> probably, yeah. Probably. More, anyways. Yeah, it's, it's uh, there's two sides to it, I think. Yeah. I know that makes sense. And I mean, hopefully this, what is now a small piece of the pie grows in, in, in time and there are more opportunities to collaborate with, with like-minded aligned people who are interested in similar things. And is that one of the, was that one of the motivators for, you know, for creating Xyla was, was this realization that, there is now all of this opportunity for collaboration and yet it's it's so important to actually have those aligned collaborators and creating a space for those people to come together and actually create things absolutely it's it's definitely for me to do with bringing people into the space that otherwise wouldn't necessarily take that jump um because you know there are still some technical hurdles to get over and there's some fear around entering this space and people have heard all kinds of things at this point about NFTs and blockchain in general. So I think it really takes 
knowing somebody who's kind of uh, into that space already to be able to relate personally and understand what it is that's, that could be of interest to an artist. Um, and it seems to be that especially, especially in the sort of experimental music and art circles that I uh, find myself in, um, I'm not sure exactly why, but most of my colleagues and friends who are in that realm haven't made that leap of faith yet. They, they've heard about it, they might have a passing interest in it, but for whatever reason, uh, they haven't dived in yet. Um, so I do find myself in a position of thinking, well, I know amazing artists out there, and I want to bring their work into this space so that they can explore these tools that can empower them to take their work into new areas, uh, develop new strands of their practice, and to be honest, bring more diversity into Web3, artistic diversity, as well as all other kinds of diversity. Uh, that was something that I found quite striking when I got into NFTs a couple of years back. Uh, particularly musically, I just, I, I wasn't finding my tribe musically. There was people that I really resonated with, but musically we weren't really on the same page. And, you know, there was a real lack of, I mean, improvised music, for example, there's, there's hardly any on-chain improv music NFTs. There's a handful mm. of people exploring that. Uh, and, you know, improvisation is a, is a big term and a big field. But even then, there aren't many people doing it. And um, the really dark kind of electronic music that I'm into, there's not that much of that going on. Um, the sort of like modern composition, that's not really happening yet. So. Uh, I wanted to create a platform where people could be like, oh, okay, I can see how I might bring my practice into that realm. Um, and so all of the artists that I've worked with on Scene One, which is Zyla's first program of events and, and releases, are completely new to Web3. And I've helped them set up their wallets and uh, understood, mm. helped them understand what like contract splits are, and what it even means to put something on the chain, on the, on the blockchain, um, what the benefits are to artists kind of owning these relationships with collectors and just the idea of collecting digital assets, you know, all of these things that they take a little bit of getting your head around. So that's definitely part of what Xylet is about, is bringing new people into the space, helping them understand what's in it for them and creating a more diverse artistic ecosystem. Uh, that's really cool. Uh, was that a difficult sell for any of the, you know, since you were bringing these people into the space, like, did, did you find that it was hard to convince any of them to, you know, to join you in what you were doing? Or were there certain elements that um, you discovered were were particularly attractive to the people who weren't yet exploring Web3, but, you know, eventually were willing to take that leap of faith with you? In some cases, it did take longer than in others. I, I'm, and I wasn't, I'm not trying to force anybody into Web3. It's, it's more like um, yeah. <laughs> having conversations that enable people to understand why it might be of benefit or of interest to them, but also helping to clarify some things about the technology itself and the culture around it that people might have misconceptions about. Um, so for example, mm -hmm. I have had conversations with people who refused to set up a crypto wallet at first 
because of ideas that they had around crypto in general, uh, some of which are completely valid. Mm -hmm. And I had to say, look, you're, you're absolutely right. That exists. You know, there, there are scams out there mm -hmm. and I'm not shying away from that. But I'm here to kind of like um, guide you as best I can so that you don't have to encounter that stuff because it, it's a lot harder to do mm -hmm. it yourself if you don't know, you know, if you don't know the ropes. So um, mostly it was a, it's a matter of having the conversation and sure it takes time at this point because there's some explaining to do, there's some like fielding of questions which are completely valid, which um, were the same questions that I asked myself when I was entering the space. Um, but it all comes down to discussion. And fortunately, all of the artists that I really wanted to work with on this first program, um, in the end, came around to the idea and were like, let's just give it a go. So um, they're all completely mm -hmm. new to the space, but they're people with kind of really deep artistic practices that I'm really aligned with mm -hmm. creatively. And I'm really glad to be the one that brings them into the space and, and, uh, and get to collaborate with artists whose work I love primarily. Yeah. I'm curious what you perceive as unique to your experience that enabled you to take that leap of faith when, you know, so many still still aren't. Um did you have someone like yourself uh you know who was having discussions with you to explore these things or was it just over time um you know a slow embrace of some of the opportunities that you were seeing? within Web3? It was a slow burn for me, for sure. I, I think I first, I mean, I first heard about blockchain when when Bitcoin started, but I, I didn't realize there was going to be an intersection with, you know, arts. Um, so the, the first mm -hmm. time that I realized that, that there was this kind of intersection between blockchain and music, for example, I think it was around 2015 when Imogen Heap's Mycelia um, platform was kind of forming um, and it was one of those things where I got very interested in it for a short space of time did a little bit of research and thought okay this is this is super interesting and then forgot about it completely for a couple of years um, I think mainly because um, just it stopped being in the news. I wasn't hearing so much updates on that particular project. And, and back back then, I mean, we're going back a few years. So there wasn't really such a thing as like crypto Twitter or there, there wasn't like one space where everybody was discussing new projects. So it was very much a case, in my experience anyway, of following an individual project in whatever way you could. And, and if the sort of, if the steam behind that individual project dried up, then there wasn't so much of a rabbit hole to link to other projects um, that you could then go and explore. Mm. So when, when I stopped hearing about Mycelia for a while, I forgot about it basically. And then it was, it was a few years after that when Audius started up and I was like, oh yeah, okay. So there's a new platform that's using the same underlying technology as what Mycelia was doing, but in a different way. And I think I was quite early to kind of set up my Audius profile but again, it was it was still the case of setting up the profile, uploading one track, forgetting about it for another couple of years. And then I think it was end of 2020, beginning of 2021, um, my interest kind of um, surged back. And that's when I started going really deep into it. And there was a lot more infrastructure by that point um, 
more platforms, more of a collective dialogue around what was happening. And it was a lot easier to kind of bounce from one project to another and, and see what the connections were between the dots. Um, and so, yeah, for the last nearly two years, I've been, I've been going pretty deep down the rabbit hole. Uh, initially, it was mainly through Super Sigil, which is the moniker I use for my electronic music. But at the same time, I was having these, trying to formulate these ideas for what would become Xyla. And then in the latter half of that period, so I guess the last year or so, um, I started to see how Web3 and NFTs could actually enable me to start this thing that became my label, which is Xyla. And you just took Xyla through, through the Meta Label assembly program. Um, and you know, I'm curious, and you know, for those people listening, Meta Label is a you know relatively new organization started by um, some pretty interesting people. One of them being Austin Roby, who um, who started Ampled, which is another music community within the Web3 space, um, organized around artist support. This was Yancy Strickler, who started Kickstarter, um, and um, a few other interesting people, or were the minds behind Meta Label um, and Assembly was a cohort program that um, you know is helping organizations cultivate around this idea of creating a Meta Label, which is you know uh, sort of a new a new take, a new lens into what a label can be, and um, you know within this new new world. And I'm curious just to hear first how you came across Meta Label and and you know how you got involved with this program and and what that experience was like for you it's been great it's um an amazing team of people as you said with with really um interesting backgrounds who've been involved in some really cool projects over the years and just deep thinkers about creativity about how to enable creative people to better do what they're doing in the society we live in um and how to connect people who are thinking about those kinds of things around the world. Um, so the experience of, of going through assembly and um, getting to share ideas with people who are interested in those sectors and, and fields was really, really nourishing. And it, it came at a perfect time for me because I was really deep into setting up Xyla at that point. And um, going back to the first part of the question about how I came across it, it was it was just great timing. I was, I was formulating these ideas for what would become Xyla and trying to find the best way to articulate what it is to set up a label that's sort of more than a label. Like people use the term label mostly in connection with records these days. Everybody's familiar with the term record label. But Xyla is multidisciplinary. So it's about expanding the idea of a record label to also include, for example, visual art releases or film releases, or live events, or particular focus uh, interdisciplinary collaboration. Um, and that's not, those aren't things that typically a record label would do. Um, and when you couple that with NFTs and Web3 distribution, you have this new mode of, of um, releasing, which again is something that not most labels are doing yet. Um, so I was formulating all these ideas, but I hadn't really found the right way to articulate them. And then I came across Meta Label, 
I think just on Twitter, you know, somebody had, had shared something and and I read their their initial posts and I was like, okay, they're thinking about all the same things that I am, but they've found really concise ways to articulate them. Um, they've got a whole, like a really rich tapestry of thought and context that's gone into forming this idea of what a meta label is. And they can trace that lineage back through history, you know, back to like, Yancey's quite fond, for example, of tracing it back to the Royal Society, which is this kind of early enlightenment uh, organization in London of scientists like Isaac Newton, who came together to publish releases, essentially. They were dropping releases uh, back in the 17th century, maybe even 16th century, I forget which. Um, but yeah, a bunch of people coming together with a shared interest to release things into the world. Uh, and that's more or less what, what a meta label is. Um, and yeah, they, they've, they just found a way to articulate that, trace it back through this context of, of historical instances uh, to enable us to understand what that, what that can look like today. So when I um, read about what they were doing, I just reached out and it was, it was quite early in, in setting themselves up as meta label. So I just had a chat with Austin um, and then shortly afterwards they announced the call for assembly and uh, very happily I was accepted onto it and we spent a month or maybe five weeks throughout July and the first part of August meeting twice a week on Zoom with uh, I think about 30 other groups or organizations or meta labels, um, some of which have quite a few people involved. So there was, there was quite a cohort um, and with some guest speakers of people that are exploring these tools and these ideas. Um, and yeah, it was, it was really enriching and it was, it was one of my, it was actually my first experience of um, being really excited about an online community and being part of an online community. Um, I'm not really somebody that I haven't spent a lot of time gaming online or anything like that. So the idea of online community was kind of new to me when I got into Web3. And I wasn't that excited about it, to be honest. Like the idea of spending loads of time on Twitter and Discord wasn't that exciting to me. But it's because <laughs> I didn't, I hadn't <laughs> found the places on those platforms where the people that I'm really interested in and their ideas are interested in to have those conversations. And so MetaLabel was one of the first instances of me feeling like, okay, I actually want to go into this Discord. It's not just a load of spam or people shilling their projects. It's like super interesting thinkers that I get to have a conversation with about ideas that I'm really passionate about. Yeah, I'm curious, uh, you know, after having gone through the program, I mean, one of the things that I, I think a lot, I, I think about a lot with, within Web3 is how it's, you know, basically digital first and a lot of relationships are starting online. And, um, you know, we talked about this a little bit when we met the other night at your launch. Um, but, you know, the importance of, of, of actually taking that initial digital connection and, and bringing it into the physical world somehow, um, you, you know, will really strengthen that, 
you know, that bond. And it's a, you know, similar phenomenon to, to, you know, discovering an artist through, through recording and then that connection manifesting to, you know, coming to a show um, at some point and being around actual people and, and being, you know, sharing the same air as, as the music is. And I'm curious how you're thinking now about that, that intersection between, between URL and IRL, as they, as they say, mm. um, and, and whether you'll you know continue to pursue and cultivate digital community, or if, if you developed new new thoughts and new ways of thinking about how you know how Zyla and how your music can work in between those two spaces. Super interesting topic. And it's definitely a reason why it was important to me to have an IRL launch event for Xyla, to get people into the same space, to hear the music live, even if it's in a different incarnation from how it exists on the record. Um, and that's always been the case. You know, there's always this sort of to and fro between um, live experiences and recorded experiences, as long as the recorded industry has existed. Um, and it's also something that I've been interested in for a long time. And this process, for example, even before you take the Web3 aspect of it, just the idea of being in a band and starting out doing live shows, but then having enough material to go into the studio and making something that's very much a studio project, but then trying to figure out how to do that live again. And you have this kind of pendulum swinging back and forth between the studio aspects of a practice and how that manifests live. And in the best cases, those two strands can really inform each other so that the, the band and the music just evolves in a, in a really interesting way. And in my experiences of being in bands long enough that you know we've gone for more than one album, say, which is not always the case, but um, that's a super interesting process. And, and when you combine that with, um, like you say, starting out, in a digital native space. Um, I think it's the same process, but sort of in reverse. Um, it's definitely been the case that over the last few months, I've started meeting people face to face that I met on Twitter, for example. I've been to a, quite a few kind of NFT events or conferences or speaking events that um, I've been able to put faces to the avatars, as it were. And, um, and it, it feels, it feels like a deeper connection once that's happened, for sure. But that's not always possible. You know, there's people that I'm connected with, uh, like most of the Meta Label um, cohort, for example, uh, purely digitally or purely online. And okay, you have Zoom calls, so it's not just on Twitter, but it's um, uh, they can be nourishing in their own way. But with Xyla in particular, it was important to me to have physical events to just kind of intensify those connections enable just a physical handshake and to put faces to names and avatars and um and also it just introduced those um those two realms to each other a little bit more because what's quite interesting about the launch the other night is that there's there's people there who um you know might have come to previous gigs of mine who are like more into the music side of things then there's people like yourself, who probably wouldn't have heard about it if it wasn't for the Web3 aspect. Um, and there's this kind of overlap between different 
sectors which I really enjoy because uh, I mean part of what Zyla is about is you know um, introducing things to new audiences whether it's one audience for like one discipline like introducing a dance audience to a kind of experimental music or introducing a music audience to uh, short films that they might not necessarily go out of their way to experience um, Mm-hmm. And so that's part of it as well. It's just getting people in a space so that we can, you know, cross-fertilize a little bit more. Like, I, I like thinking about the artistic equivalent or the sort of cultural equivalent of biodiversity. You know, like, hmm. I guess it's just cultural diversity, but I always think about it in terms of an ecology, like, and how diversity within an ecosystem is just really nourishing for everybody involved or every species involved in some cases. So... That's a big part of it for me. Cool. Uh, yeah, when we were talking, I, I think I asked you about you know some of the rest of the cohorts that you were going to meta label with, and you mentioned somebody who was involved with with an ecology program um, of sorts. I don't remember exactly the name. What was it? The Center for Ecological Philosophy. The Center for Ecological Philosophy. Yeah, right. Um, and and I'm curious how you know you mentioned how you were diving deep into Xyla prior to MetaLabel. And I'm curious how those four or five weeks, how, how those affected, you know, the structure of, of, of how Xyla was manifesting in your mind and how it older, how it ultimately manifested like, like in your manifesto and, um, you know, in your launch and, and in your vision for what, what it can be. For one thing, it gave me a name, um, or, or a word I can use to describe what Xyla is, because I was struggling. You know, I, I wanted something that gave the impression that it was more than a record label, but, you know, culture label didn't quite sound right. And in some cases, um, you know, I was, I was trying to find a word that would just encapsulate taking labels to new places. And MetaLabel just <clears throat> bangs that nail on the head. So... It, a lot of it was about articulating what it is that I'm trying to do and giving me the sort of vocabulary to describe um, the context that this is happening in. The other thing was just being able to bounce ideas off people while I was formulating um, what would become scene one. So like release strategies, um, hearing what other people were doing and whether there were similarities, um, just having like deep conversations with people about um, how to get our work out into the world, um, how to connect with other um, practices and organizations who are exploring similar things and ideas. Um, and uh, yeah, I was really happy that Alan McFetridge from the Center for Ecological Philosophy who's an amazing photographer that I had a chance to meet last time I was in London, was there at the launch the other night. And then David from um, uh, another meta label, who was part of the cohort, uh, was there. They're, they're taking over a house in Sussex that is the only remaining house that Banksy had, uh, had graffitied on. So that they're basically raising funds through Web3 to buy this house and turn it into an art space. Um, so they're just people doing, you know, really interesting things, using similar tools to what I'm doing, but in slightly different ways and for different purposes. 
and uh, it's been really nourishing to to have those conversations. For people listening who are curious about Xyla and may want to learn more or ex- explore one of the membership passes for Scene One, can you talk a little bit about how 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 someone might might access those things? Yeah. So right now the membership pass NFT for Scene One is. Um, well, the, the the allow list actually just, um, the deadline just passed. I don't know when this is going to air, but um, there's like a pre-sale, which is what the allow list was for. Um, so anybody that is on the allow list up to this point will get an airdrop or be able to claim for free one of these membership passes. Um, and then the public sale will start next Tuesday, I think. If I need to double check that. Next week. Um, so that's the end of September um, for 0.01 ETH um, and it's an open supply and what the membership pass for scene one is about is basically uh, it's your ticket to then be able to mint any of the scene one releases and the releases for this scene um, include the EP that we launched the other night it's called Inpouring it's music that I made for a dance performance with an amazing cellist called Alice Purton. Um, and it was very much one of those projects that was kind of live and then a studio project. And then we took it back to the live sector. It's gone through several iterations. But uh, that has been, it's been released via Web 2 first. And then there'll be several releases around that as part of scene one. The EP itself and all the music NFTs, along with visual art releases um, by the artist who did the cover art, um, who's Jacqueline Nichols, an amazing London-based fine artist. Um, Music videos for a couple of the tracks, one of which Jacqueline did that is an animation of a poem that we commissioned by Miriam Gamble. And another music video by Ruta Pujait, which is uh, using the original choreography from the dance performance that it's a score for. So the idea is really to take a single project and branch out through collaboration across different releases, um, going into different disciplines, and particularly across different disciplines. Um, So that's scene one, and those are some of the releases that that are going to be coming up. We're going to roll them out over the next few weeks, so probably into October, um, probably towards the end of October. Um, but uh, depending on when this airs, um, yeah, you can grab a, a membership pass for Scene 1 and that will enable you then to mint some of the Scene 1 releases. And uh, the best place currently to find Xyla is on Twitter. It's at XylaWorks, Z-Y-L-A-W-O-R-K-S. Um, and from there, there's a link to our bonfire site where you can read more about our manifesto, the Scene 1 releases, see some of the artwork, hear the music, etc. Amazing. Cool. Thank you. Um, and I have one more question for you that I that isn't related to Web3, but I, I like to ask everybody at the end of, of a conversation is uh, like a classic. You're going to a desert island. You get to bring three albums with you. What are they? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> It's an impossible question, but that's the point. Oh no, this is uh, this is my worst nightmare <laughs> having to do this. Um, 
last time I got asked this in an interview, I said, can I take a playlist? Because I actually have a playlist of my all-time favorite music, but there's way more than three albums on there. There's like a hundred albums on there. And I just... Three of your top hundred, we can call. <sighs> okay, I mean, you know, on a different day, it would be a completely different answer. But right now, I'm going to say Miles Davis, Kind of Blue. Um, I'm going to try and spread them out over different, like, aesthetics or, or genres. So that's going to be my kind of, like, jazz one that's going to have to incorporate that whole history of... I mean, I could choose three Miles Davis albums, and that would be, like you know, enough on Sundays. Yeah. Uh, but I'd probably want something from the sort of like, um, I would probably have to pick a Radiohead album and I would probably hmm. go for... Which one? Again, I could take three radio. This is really tough. This is really tough. I hate this question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to say OK Computer. I'm, I, it's, it's a toss-up okay. between OK Computer and... Kid A or Amnesiac, but today I'm going to say OK Computer. And then, uh, uh, I don't know, I'm going to have to say, um, this has just popped into my head right now. I'm going to say Fiddle by the klezmer violinist Alicia Svigals. Um, wow. It's a beautiful record. It's um, a different kettle of fish from... Uh, those other two, but it's uh, it's one I come back to again and again. I mean, impossible question. If you ask me in five minutes' time, I'd have a completely different response. I hate that question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I know, and I I used to I used to not ask it for that reason, but that I've I've slowly come around to this idea of, you know, music people especially always change their answers to this. So capturing a moment in which whatever springs to mind, whatever is in your gut in that moment, whatever those first three, speaks to a moment in which those are resonant for some reason. So capturing that for a second, I think, is is kind of fun, as frustrating as it is <laughs> to deal with the infinity of great albums that, that exist. Um, but uh, yeah, that's all I've got. Thank you so much, Alex, for your time and for talking about Xyla. Uh, I think it's a really incredible project and wish wish you only the best as as you continue to explore this new world and and you know i'm excited to watch how your music and all of the other musicians who who participate in xyla um you know continue to flourish and explore thank you so much keegan i've really enjoyed the chat except for the last question but <laughs> no thanks for <laughs> thanks for having me on i appreciate it absolutely we'll talk soon cheers take care all right bye all right, that's it for this episode of Big Brother and the Hodling Company. I'm your host, McKeegan Voice, and you can keep up with me and all the latest Web3 music trends on Twitter, at McKeegan. That's M-A-C-E-A-G-O-N. This show is a production of Decentral Media, and you can visit us at decentral.io, and remember, only you can prevent and fend off Big Brother.